Lord put in my heart to continue on with this series as we talk about Jesus. And today I'm going to close us out. I'm going to close us out as we consider what's the point of all of this. Can you ask yourself that question? Like, what's the point of this? Why, why is there the church? Why did Christ have to come to die? Why do we sit here and celebrate and worship together? What's the point? And maybe you've asked yourself that question many times. Or maybe you've walked into the house and realized, you know what? Nothing about my life has changed, and I'm, I'm sitting here. So what's the point? Right? That might be some of us. I feel like that one hit a little bit. What's the point? I've shared with you guys time and again that I grew up in the church. If there was one thing I knew growing up, it was the church. And the minute when I went to college and I decided, wait, nobody's watching me? Nobody, I'm not going to get in trouble if I mess up? I realized that I knew a lot of church, but I had no idea who Jesus was. Because it was in that space of being alone where nobody could pull my ear that I said, you know what? 18 years in the church? For what? Because now I'm out here and I can do whatever I want to do. And I took advantage of that, friends, as I stand up here, redeemed and reconciled to the Father. I made my decisions that hurt me and hurt others. Until one day at 19, I said, what's the point? And my life was starting to fall apart. Because sin looks glittery, right? Especially when no one's going to know. So it's like, it's fine. I'll do what I need to do. And then on Sunday, I'll go and I'll just, you know, dust myself off out loud so people can see that. But then you get to a point where there's no place lower to go. And if you're courageous enough, you ask yourself that question, what's the point? For some of us, the point is just to show up to church week after week and be a pew filler, a seat filler, to warm up the chair. But today, you're here for a reason. And I hope that in these few minutes of me sharing with you that you are encouraged to ask yourself the question, what's the point? I'll tell you what, your purpose was never just to be here and sit in these chairs. A lot of us grew up in the church, right? And so as we grew up in the church, we learned that the purpose of the church was just to fill a building and to do good things to people. And that was the purpose of us saying that we were Christians. But then we go to Matthew chapter 28, where we were reading last week. Remember, there were those who believed that Jesus had resurrected, and there were those who what? They doubted. And I asked you guys to consider, who are you? Are you the women who saw him and just immediately believed, fell to their feet, hugged his feet, and went on their way on mission? Or were you like the, were you like the men on that road on Emmaus who saw Jesus walked with him, spoke with him, and still didn't believe. What's the point of all of this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I need your help this morning, Lord. I need your help every morning, every minute, and every day. But Lord, I know that sometimes your word comes heavy like a hammer. 
And I just pray that the hearts be softened today, that they would receive the seed of your word, that they would be good soil, Lord, that they would not set aside what you are asking all of us, including myself, to do, Lord. Start with me. Humble me. Lord, speak to us this morning, and may we leave changed for the sake of your name, the precious name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's message is called The King's Commission. The sending. If you know the three pillars that we live by here at One Life, it's what? Touched, right? That initial, that initial experience with Christ transformed where you allow him to come into your heart, make space in your heart, set up his own camp, and then there's a third. And that the third is the one that we don't always like. And that one is the send. Perhaps in your spiritual walk, you've made a decision to leave a church before. Anybody been there? I've left a couple churches in my life. Okay. I want you to think today about why you left and how you left. Did you leave because you were being sent? Because ideally, the only time we would leave a church, one They're either preaching heresy, and you realize this, that what they are preaching is not the gospel. This is not a house of prayer. This is not a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Or two, God said, it's time. But remember, whenever you leave a church, whenever you leave an assembly, whenever you leave a family of believers, it's on mission. Why do you say this, Isaac? Because there's some of us who have been tempted to say, I don't like the music. The the church is it's too bright. It's too dark. I don't like the pastor. You know, he doesn't he speaks too heavy. I don't really like Spanish people that much. That's a whole other sermon. We have the best white rice. That's not the point. But right, have you felt these tensions before? Like, like I don't know. It's just something. I don't know the worship. Like, especially if we come from these like cultural expressions, where it's just like, I, I, like I miss my shouting. Right? Oh, hey, I miss I miss the loud praising. I miss the shaking. If you grew up like I did, the shaking of the old ladies in the chairs. And I, even even as a little kid, I didn't understand it. Like, why don't we all shake? Like, why is it just a specific group? But then the Lord sends you to a place where the gospel is still being preached, but you're no longer seeing these cultural expressions. Lord, is this not it? But people aren't falling out every Sunday. And there isn't, there aren't random people standing up speaking in languages that are supposedly heavenly. Is this not it, Lord? Most of the times when we stand up and we decide not to return to a home, to a house of prayer, a house of worship, where people labor day in and day out to do God's work, is because our ego is in the way. It's because we haven't truly accepted 
that everything about our life is a mission. So maybe we're just Christians for seasons of our lives because we need something from him. But the minute we get that satisfied, I'm good. I'll come back when I need more gas. But what if we live, what if we learn to live at the station so that we never run out? And that station is the presence of the Almighty. I'm not saying you have to stay here all day. I have to close the doors. I heard someone say the other day, you can't pour from an empty cup. Can I, I mean, can I rock the house today? You know how often we pastors, I'm not even speaking about that, you know how often we pour from an empty cup? You know why? Because the source isn't ours. It's never ours. If we're speaking spiritually, it's possible to pour from an empty cup. Because the truth is that I too, and we too, and each of you still have spaces where you too are broken. Does that mean that God's work doesn't get done? Because the sufficiency is whose? It's his. Because the pouring doesn't happen from my cup, the pour... The pouring happens from his. So even, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of oneself, right? That doesn't mean that we, especially, and I said this last week, that we shouldn't spend time in God's word because we also need our own fulfillment of him. But is it possible to pour from a place of brokenness? Oh, it is. And when you realize that, you realize that, you know what, I'm not... God, I'm sorry, I know, you, I know you told me to evangelize to my neighbor, but I'm having a really bad week, so can we wait till I have a good week? When are you going to have a good enough week to do what God is telling you to do? Everything God asks us to do is hard from a human perspective. Everything. I have a neighbor that just moved in six months ago. He reminded me yesterday. I've been here for six months already. It's the first time I've spoken to him, as much as I talk about speaking to our neighbors. But when he first moved in, like, it was just like, I, I caught him a couple of times, like, in one of his windows, like, <laughs> right? Like, that's weird. And then on one of these Sundays, I get home, and he's looking, um, he's not looking, that, that was weird again, but he's standing in front of his house, and he's like, happy Sunday. I said, no. I said, wait, are you a believer? He's like, I'm a Catholic. I said, happy Sunday. And yesterday, I'm taking my girls to go get lunch. And he's like watering his grass, but like there's like not even a lot of water coming out. So I know that he was kind of like setting up to say something. Shout out to Sean because he was with me and he got scared. He's watering his grass and he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, like I told him my job. You guys know I work full time also. And I'm like, I'm also a pastor. And he's like, oh, wait, let me ask you a question. And then he comes to me, and he's like, I've been wondering a lot about the Bible. Do you have Bible studies where I could join you guys and we can talk about... <laughs> so, and, and Sean, Sean, Sean ran away. He got into his car and bolted. He didn't get to see that part. Not only that, but on Friday night, I decided to go and get a haircut, because I get a lot of compliments from you guys when I get my haircut. Isaac, you look so much thinner. No, it's just my hair. <laughs> I go to my barber shop, 
And I'm speaking to the barber, and he has a Bible. I, I chose this barber. This guy, you notice I have a different haircut every time I cut my hair because, like, he just does whatever he wants every time I sit down in the chair. But this time, he had a Bible on his counter. And the reason I've been going to him for the last six years is because I want to bring him the gospel. And every time I sit in that chair, we talk about Jesus. And after six years, he had a Bible on his counter. I said, whose Bible is that? He said, some, some young kid brought it to me. I'm like, and two weeks ago, I saw the Bible, actually. And when I saw the Bible, I said, be careful. He's like, no, I'm Catholic. Man. I don't care. No, I'm not Christian. I'm Catholic. Uh, yeah, you're right. Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, all right, whatever. And then I'm like, be careful, though. The minute you open up your Bible, everything that you thought you knew is going to fall apart. You're going to start asking a bunch of questions about your own religion and faith that grandma and nana and great-grandma and your mother and your father taught you, and a lot of it is going to start kind of like not making sense. And that even happens to us sometimes as Protestants. Because we came to church and, oh, but my pastor said, my pastor said that if you didn't fall out in the spirit, you didn't really know Jesus, but that's nowhere in the Bible. So does that mean that I know Jesus? Are you saved in your heart? Are you redeemed by Christ Almighty? Welcome to the family. But we've grown up with these expressions, and finally on Friday night, I go, he's cutting my hair, doing whatever he wants to do, of course, and then he stops his, his um, clippers and he goes... Let me ask you a question. Was Mary really a virgin? And, I, and I'm like, like, ask your question again, because I'm not understanding what you're asking. He goes, the Bible, I was reading the other day, and it said that he had siblings. So after Jesus was born, she wasn't a virgin anymore. So why does the Catholic ch- oh, what's happening? What's happening? Did you read your Bible? How dare you? (laughs) So much of what you thought you knew for these past 35 years is now falling apart. And you know what? Here's my number. You call me whenever you have a question. And he said, man, where's your church? I would love to come by. I really thought he was going to be here today. But help me pray for Edison. Help me pray that he would come to know the Lord because I'll tell you what, this is a street boy. And if I've gotten to know anything about guys who know how to handle themselves in the street is that the minute they know Christ, so does the street. So I am praying, help me pray for him. The reason why I'm giving you this kind of long introduction is because I want us to think about our ego and our humility. In Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus is speaking to his students... The disciples are gathered. They're sitting together. And in verse, I'm going to let me read from verse 1 to 6. The disciples are seated, speaking to one another, and Jesus is in their midst. And it, they say, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth 
of the sea. So Isaac, is he saying that we should go back to being children? Obviously, in the natural, that is not what he's saying. But he even pulls a child to him. I was going to pull my daughter up, but I know that she's busy. And the truth is that if I were to call my daughter up right now, she would come. And she's sitting in that last row right there. But if I said, Allie, come to daddy, she would come. And you know your own experiences with your children if you have children. Or if you have nieces and nephews and they know your voice. They're keen to the voice of those who they know. Those who speak to them often and those who they speak to often. You have to be like a child. And what's funny about this story is that we also see a different perspective of this story in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, where Luke writes of this same account. He says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Let me read that again, because maybe when I read it from Matthew, you said, oh, well, they were asking, like, who is the greatest? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Is there something beyond? Wrong. Luke explains what's happening. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest which of them was the greatest they often sat down these 12 disciples and best friends of jesus they sat together to argue about which one of them was better and then they would go to the rabbi and say jesus who's better and then but think about somebody like peter Somebody like Peter that saw miracles happen, who was able to walk on water, who was really close and part of the inner circle of Jesus. So for him to look and say, come on, Jesus, like everybody knows you have your inner circle. Like, am I not the inner of the inner circle? You let me walk on water. You allowed me to be part of miracles. You brought me to the mountaintops to pray with you. And remember, Jesus would look at Peter and say that upon this rock, his name was Peter. He changes his name from Simon Peter to Peter. Peter obviously is important to Jesus. So in these arguments about Jesus, who do you think is better? Is it me or them? Again, not all of, Bible, all of the Bible is about us. But we can put ourselves in some of these contexts. Jesus, right, I'm good? So even when we stand up here and we rebuke and we exhort and we lead you back to the cross, you might be inside like, Jesus, I'm, I'm not that bad, right? Like, I know Isaac's out here speaking crazy, but I'm not that bad, right? Like, I'm pretty great, aren't I? But see, humility, a lot of times we think that humility is to beat yourself up. Humility is to find yourself small in a corner. Humility is not to think about yourself at all. Humility is to regard others before yourself, to think about Christ and what he's called you to do before you. That's humility. And don't be tempted to think that I am saying that you should disregard yourself. I'm not saying that. But when you find that you are moved or tempted to try to convince yourself or someone else that you are pretty good, are you being humble? Or when you have to kind of angle yourself in a position based on somebody else's way of behaving to prove that you're good. Is that humility? What is humility? 
We live in a culture, and even Christian culture, that teaches that we must first fill ourselves before we can even begin to consider others. That's what I said before, right? Well, how am I going to feed you if I haven't eaten myself? Oh, it's pretty easy if you know Christ. Think about the stories that Jesus engages in and the nothingness that some of these women had and yet gave him all. And what did he do because of his love and compassion? He provided everything for them. I shared with you that at my job, people wonder, I have terrible months. And at the end of the month, it's like, Isaac, you were up this month. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened either. But I tell you what, I've learned how to pour from an empty cup. And in pouring from that empty cup, my cup is truly never left empty. And that's not to teach you just the God of provision. It was like, Lord, I have $2. I'm going to give somebody $1 so that you can give me $5. Deal? Like, we're not negotiating with God. Because what he's measuring is the stance and humility of our hearts. Because if you only have $2 and without thinking about it, you give to the needy, that's humility. You humbled yourself because you never regarded what you would be left without. You regarded what they needed. And if only the whole world worked like this. Because if we always thought about the person next to us, there would always be someone caring for me. This is why Judaism flourishes as a culture. You don't see homeless Jews on the street. Now, they have their own faith system, and they have a lot of need. For those of you who know social need, they have a lot of need. But they take care of each other, and they don't ask that many questions. In the Sikh community, they have their temples all over Queens, in communities that have never heard the name Jesus. And every Sikh temple has a basically a policy or a law of hospitality. If you are somebody from their community and you have nothing to eat and nowhere to sleep tonight, you are able to sleep and eat at the temple. No questions asked. And we have everything. We have Christ. And we lack so heavily in humility. So Isaac, why are you saying all of this? The reason I'm saying this is because when Jesus returns in Matthew chapter 28 in verses 16 to 20, and he finally tells them why he has returned, not why he's died. They knew that already, but why he has returned, it was to give them what? The great commission. But in order for them to be able to receive this job, this assignment, they had to be what? Humble. So what are some characteristics of an unspoiled child towards a parent, towards the father. The first that we see is that an unspoiled child is trusting. A child trusts. Think about your children as I'm speaking about this. A child trusts. A child is dependent. They know that everything that they need, their nurturing, their food, their hugs, their smiles, comes from someone An unspoiled child demonstrates humility by always having a desire to make someone happy, right? Have you ever just been with your little kid and they're just smiling and they just bring you this joy and for what? It's not, it's not even, it's not reciprocal. 
They just trust that you will give them everything that they need, and they return it with joy. And they're humble by showing the absence of boasting. Do you you ever stop and think about how much we compete with one another? Some of us grew up in cultures where everything about our lives was competition. Well, you got to do this because your tia, remember, your cousins, remember, your other, the friends, your classmates, your teammates. Everything is competition. So here we are teaching about humility when our cultures even have taught us about competition. Everything is a competition. How much do you have? I don't have enough. Well, what about your job? I like it, but I don't make enough. Well, are you content? I am, but I was taught that I needed more. And we live in that type of society, right? You ever seen pictures of churches in third world countries that they worship in puddles of water sometimes? Some of you have done missionary work before. Oh, the river over flooded? No problem. I'll see you at church on Sunday. And how is it here? Oh, the sun is out. 70 degrees. Got to get the boat ready. It's real, right? Anything to distract us from these little minimal things that God asks us to do, like gather. So what happens when Jesus comes to us in Matthew 28, 19 and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the world. Because he told us to gather, right? Where two or three are gathered, right? He instructs us to gather. He instructs us to have communion. I was part of a church that we did community maybe two or three times in nine years. Wow. And we do it every week now. Because these are instructions that God gives us. And if you wonder why we do communion every week, I invite you to consider Acts chapter 7 verse 20. When they come together, they have communion. If this is when we come together, we have communion. But it's not a bronze serpent. We don't make a bronze serpent out of our attendance either. Because our attendance won't save us. So when Jesus comes and gives us this job, and let's read it. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We're still doubting. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. If you have your Bible open, can you underline all nations? I am the pastor of a multicultural church. There is no preference to God. Where you're from, what shade of skin color you are, no. It says go and make disciples of all nations. Everyone needs Christ Jesus. And when I heard Billy Graham speak about this very same topic, he referenced, just in case you were wondering, this is back in the 60s, in case you were wondering, the man who helped Jesus carry his cross after he couldn't carry it anymore was an African man, Simon of Serene. An African man. So if ever you wonder who is better and greater to God, you remember who helped Jesus carry the cross. And the point of that is not to say that any one person or one group is better. No, it's to regard Matthew 28. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember last week we were talking about the guards and how they were paid off to deny the resurrection of Jesus. Remember? They were, they were bribed into denying Jesus' power. Some of them believed. We talked about the women who believed when they saw Jesus and also the disciples that did not believe and didn't even realize that Jesus was walking among them. But Jesus here, he announces his authority once more. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as Jesus is speaking, these disciples are what? It says they some still doubted. With the authority that Jesus is talking about in this verse 18, he also gives the great commission. And this is our greatest purpose to the question, like, what's the point of all of this? The point of all of this that we say yes to is Matthew 28, 19. It was his job and his purpose to die, and it's ours to make disciples. Have you been making disciples? For those of you who are firm in your walk with the Lord, Have you made it your job now to make disciples? And I'm not talking about just inviting to church. I'm talking about taking on the responsibility of walking with the people that God has given you. That's where the hard task is. Yeah, Isaac, but they're like, that's a lot of work. You going to tell me about it? All of you are sitting here. And our job is to walk with you. And some of you might say, yeah, but you're the pastor. But that's the thing. In this commission, he's inviting all of us to pastor. Because he's inviting all of us to make disciples. And when you make disciples, they become part of your flock, your sheep. And what are you doing with them? Shepherding. Leading them. Becoming a pillar for them. And that helps us in our own individual walk because now we have responsibility over people. That's not to say that there isn't the ministry of the pastor because I am the pastor. And you're able to consolidate them into this house so that we can help you teach them, but the responsibility still sits on you. All the people that God has put around you, what are you doing to bring them Christ? Your neighbors, your barbers, your hairstylist, the lady across the street, the lady who walks her dog and complains all the time. What are you doing to bring them Christ? A lot of us get stuck at demonstrating Christ. And so because we're unable to demonstrate Christ because, yeah, but he's Jesus. If you think about what he did in the flesh as a person, it's nothing that we can't do, friends. Remain holy, be compassionate, be giving. As God, he healed and he made lame people walk and the blind see. I'm not asking you to do all that. I'm just asking you to love people. But that's so hard. I've sat with people here before 
and they say, like, I don't like that person because they're this, 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 and that. And then I've also sat with people that said, hey, Isaac, we need to get beyond talking about Jesus. We need now to talk about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Spirit. And I'm like, but there's people here who don't even know who Christ is. How do I move on to baptism and fire when there's people who are just getting to know Christ Jesus? Are you with me? Are you with me? Sometimes, and it may, it may, it may be you, that you feel like I'm still on the basics. Isaac, move, move on from the basics. But some of us are struggling in the basics. We can't even love one another. We constantly find ourselves in turmoil and issues. And maybe not with one another, but even if it's with your neighbor, it's my job to teach you that you love. Because the purpose of all of this is to make disciples. But we have to start with the ability to be able to love one another. I sat with someone recently who said, the reason I don't really like connecting with the church is because the church is so hateful towards people that like different or engage or have different lifestyles than those of the church. And you know what I had to say to that? You're right. Because what we do know is religion and we know preferences and we make our preferences the mountains that block God's purpose for us. But he was very clear, your job is to love them. To meet them where they are, like I met you where you were. The change belongs to the Lord. Our job is not to change anybody, but our job is to love them, be where they are, give them Christ, and hope that the Holy Spirit does the work within them. But friends, it's not that hard to love people. It's not that hard to love people. It's not that hard to be able to sit with somebody who is different than you and love on them, even if they continue in that space. It's not hard because it's a decision. It's an open door. And when you sit with them, remember, Matthew 28, 19, that your job, now that they are involved with you in your life, is to walk missionally with them, to bring them Jesus, and that's where change happens. But don't grow frustrated if they decide not to come to Christ, because remember, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. If they say no to when you present to them Jesus, amen. And you know what? Keep loving them. Keep loving them. They smack you across your face. Keep loving them. I was talking to the men a few weeks ago, and we said that, like, what, somebody punches you in the face. What is your response? I know, what my, I know what I want my response to be. Right? And what do we say? You turn the other cheek, and you love them. Because that's your testimony. When they say, listen, I've done everything to annoy this person and to upset them, and all they do is forgive. It sounds superhuman, right? Especially in this day and age in American culture where people celebrate unforgiveness. Oh, well, you know what? Yeah, shouldn't be forgiven. Because they deserve what they... So do you. So do I. So why do we sit in unforgiveness? A few years ago, there was a young man who was killed... By a cop, Botham Jean, you guys might remember that name, in his apartment. And when they came to the courts, 
There was this whole hoopla because his little brother decided to forgive the cop that shot his brother. And in communities of color, a lot of people were saying, no, the little kid is wrong for forgiving her. And he should have sat in his anger and he shouldn't have forgiven her. And in my knowledge of Jesus Christ, I said, this young man, I think he was 12 or 13 years old. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was breaking the chains that could hold him for the rest of his life by sitting in unforgiveness. So may we learn today to not only forgive, but even after forgiving, to continue to love intentionally. And for you to know, leave here, you can never say, you can never say that no one ever told you now what the point of all of this was. And the point is to make disciples. The point is for you to leave here sent, ready to bring other people to Jesus, to eat from the good fruit that you've eaten. And I'm not even talking about one life. I'm not saying one life. Call your friends in Missouri and say, listen, I need to share Christ with you. And call me and say, can you help me find a church? Let's just get them into a community so that they can get to know Christ. I'm not talking about one life, friends. Let me be very clear. God will do the work of growing this church because of what you can see around you. But the only way the world will change and the world will be affected for good is if we learn to do the job. Because when we instill that into someone else, they will do that unto others. I disciple people in other countries. And I tell them, if you can't find a church, start one in your living room. You don't need fancy things. I love house church. Like, I love. If you've never done house church, it's incredible. And it lasts all day. You just have to have food. Right? We started a church by literally getting 20 young people and having them sit in our living room and just teaching them. And for some of them, and they can attest to this, they had to relearn what they thought they already knew. Well, wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait. So it's not about just like the experience? No. Some of us come to church looking for experiences. Well, I remember my Nana's church, and that's what I'm looking No, you go where God sends you. And when you arrive, it's easy to serve. It's easy to receive. And let me use this as I wrap up here. This is my plug for today. We are still struggling as a church to get people to serve. We don't have anybody, not anyone, but we are struggling to rotate enough volunteers to take care of your children. And week after week and day after day, we are asking for people to volunteer. I'm going to ask you one more time because I'm not ashamed to do so. Because this is a table where we all eat. And I'm going to invite you to consider serving. We need the help. We are, usually the rule is 80% of the people, 100% of a church, 80% do not serve, 20% do the laboring. We are at way less than 20%. And we have the same people doing the work week after week, which is why you see the same people greeting on Sundays. We need help because they also, our teachers, they're in the back. They would love to sit in the house and receive as well. Doesn't that sound fair? We need the help. The worship team is dwindling. If you have a gifting and you know that you're right with the Lord and you're able to stand up here and wield the sword as you lead all of us into worship, 
hey, speak to Mariah, speak to somebody, speak to me. I'll direct you to the right person. But friends, we need the help. And then also, my second plug, next week, we're doing our covenant classes. We have 13 people that are signed up right now. And remember, the covenant is a recommitment for the whole church. Even if you've been here for 30, 40 years, 20 years, 5 years, 10 years, we're all being invited into the recommitment because we need to know who we're shepherding and who's walking with us. So let me leave that tension in your heart. We got 13 people on the list right now, and my family's like half of it. And you're not scaring me. I've planted a church before. I'll do it again. I'm inviting you guys. God is doing work here. He's doing work here in this little church in Baldwin. Some of you got here for the first time today. Maybe I didn't even know there was a church here. And the church looks different inside than it does outside also, right? Like just, but God is doing a work here. And I'm inviting you guys to join us, to fight with us. Not, not against us. We've got plenty of that. I'm inviting you guys to join us to fight with us and to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we bow our heads?